This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 65. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That. My name is Grant. It's great to have you here with us. Hope you're doing well. Hopefully, life is treating you good. Here I'm at, it's a Christmas week. Amen. Hallelujah. Looking forward to that. So we are celebrating Christmas on Thursday. That's not going to stop us from bringing you an episode. You know, as you're maybe driving to a family member and friends, we're still going to hook you up this week with some good episodes. Today is no exception, so I'm excited to share with you today's episode. Today, we're going to be joined by my friend uh, Justin Wise, who is kind of a, a social media expert, social media guru, social media, I don't know, I call him a bunch of different things in the interview, though. But he's a very smart guy, very good guy, who's really gone on his own journey of finding and pursuing work that he's loved. He's really identified some skill sets that he has. So we talk a lot about you know listening to what others are saying, but also filtering it through your own perception and talking about just going down certain paths, but then changing directions. Once you realize maybe what you're going down wasn't what you wanted to do, maybe you're just doing it to make someone else happy. So we get into a lot of different stuff today that I'm excited to share with you. So let's get into it. Here you go. Here's my interview with Justin Wise. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my friend Justin Wise. He's a kind of a social media guru, so to speak. Can we call you that, Justin? Oh, you went there. You we went were already. We, we went to guru. out of. Can we just call it an expert? Does expert sound better? Yeah, whatever. Hey, I like guru because I can spell it G-O-O-R-O-O. Mm, I like that. Mix, <laughs> mix and match some letters there. So, all right. Instead of me telling what you do, you give us a snapshot. What's your business made of today? Yeah, so today we do basically social media and digital content education, training, and implementation. So long story short, we can either teach you how to do this stuff, we can consult with you on how to do this stuff, or we can actually do this stuff while you go do something else. So you know, we work with organizations, big and small, to say, hey, have you thought about this, that, or the other? And then we manage content, create content, do audience engagement on behalf of our clients as well. Gotcha. So all the stuff you're referring to is, is everything, all things social media. So Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, Zanga, MySpace, all of them. Yeah. Any place online that a business brand or organization can tell their story digitally, you know, we're there to help because as you know, I mean, the content beast needs constant feeding and tending yeah. to. And you know, I think in 10 years, I think a lot of businesses will have a role established, you know, like many businesses have administrative assistants and office managers. Well, I think you'll see a social media director, but a lot of them just aren't there yet. So we kind of fill in the gap. Gotcha. Interesting. What's got you fascinated in social media in general? Where did that come from? You know, I think it goes back to my high school days. Now, I graduated high school in 1998. You're so old. Uh, well, I mean, I graduated in 2000, so technically you're old to me. I feel like a geezer nowadays, <laughs> man. It's weird. But anyway, at our high school, we had a radio station. And it was actually in the high school. They have the transmitter in the actual radio booth. And so I was on radio all four years of high school. I was on radio all four years of college. And what it showed me was kind of this, the power of media, I think, where I could see, wow, like we had the morning show. So I had this morning show and you know, the, the whole town, the whole city had the ability to listen to my voice and my partner's voice, Adam, 
it was just fun to see how that worked and just became really enamored with the power of media. And so then fast forward uh, about a decade and began to see the power of social media and really just kind of caught on from there. So it's always kind of just been intriguing to you, you know, just trying to figure out, it sounds like, how do you actually incorporate that into your career and to what you're doing today? It's kind of been the journey. Yeah. And if you were to ask my parents, like we have these old home videos that I used to make with stop motion Lego, yes. uh, you know, like just these really bizarre videos of stop motion animation. And so from a very early age, I have just been interested in media, you know, social media, the term, right? There's so many media forms converging. You have audio, visual, written, all these different forms of media. And so they all converge. And then I got really interested in it myself. Then I started experimenting with kind of side projects. People would say, hey, we don't get the social media thing, but you seem to. So then it blossomed from there into side projects. And now it's what I do for a living. And we're actually just hired our second full-time person at our business. We started about about a year and a half ago and just brought on our second full-time person. So there's three of us now and it's really exciting. Very cool, man. Well, I'm excited to get into more of what you're doing today. Let's backtrack a little bit though. Today, did you grow up in Iowa? Yeah. Born and raised in Des Moines, Iowa, the thriving metropolis. That it is. Yes, indeed. And we were talking a little bit offline. I've passed through Des Moines many a time and kind of smack dab in the middle of the U.S. there. Yeah, we're here. And you know, what's odd is that people... I get this all the time. Like I'll, I'll go and visit a client or whatever. I was in Atlanta and they'll say, hey, what's your zip code? Or they'll ask, hey, can I see your license? And Or hey, where are you from? And I'll tell them, oh, I'm from Des Moines. And you know, we either hear, where's that? Or is that where they make potatoes? Or <laughs> is anybody, you know, does anything good come from Des Moines? I mean, you name it. But I find that when people visit, when they come here, it clicks, they get it. They may not want to move here, but they say, oh, okay, this wasn't as lame as I thought it would be. It's bigger than people think it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So whenever you're growing up, what was life like? What did your parents do? My dad was in commercial banking for a long time and then actually quit his job to go back to school and become an elementary school teacher, which he's been for the last nine years. Wow, that's crazy. And that actually had a profound impact on my journey as just a business owner and an entrepreneur. And then my mother, she has been on staff at the same place. So gosh, it's been probably 15 years. She's been a high school secretary. So I kind of got two different worlds coming from my parents. One, you know, the long term in it for the, the long haul employee. And then my dad, who's definitely more entrepreneurial minded out of the two who decided to say, hey, this job, it pays well, it's a good gig, but it's not fulfilling, so I'm going to go do something different. How did that transition for your dad into teaching, how did that have such an impact on your world? Well, I think, man, he was 50, so I was 25 when that transition happened. And I had just graduated college, and when I graduated college, I came back home and you know, had done a couple odd jobs, but hadn't really found anything that I was you know, set to do and really excited about. And so I saw him make that transition, and I thought, man... Like, if he can do that, then I can do that. And, you know, for him at 50 years old, there's a lot at stake. I mean, he's got yeah. three grown children and a mortgage and all that stuff. I wasn't married. I had no connections, no ties. I was living in a buddy's basement who didn't even <laughs> charge me rent, right? Living the dream. Yeah, exactly. So I came back and I was able to see that and say, wow, I can take chances now that I think my dad probably wished he would have taken when he was my age. 
Interesting stuff. Yeah. And it's always, I don't know, I agree with what you're saying, because it's something about seeing someone older than you or a generation ahead of you who's making that type of transition uh, with all that they have at stake and all the number of dependents that they have and just kind of feeling like, okay, if they can do it, it, given their circumstances, then surely if I'm living in my buddy's basement, I can figure out how to pull this together. Yeah. And I mean, it was bumpy for a while because, you know, also going through high school, I had started a house painting business with three of my buddies. And we worked really hard in the summers and painted houses, handed out flyers, came back, you know, in May, worked through August and made enough money in the summers where we didn't have to work during the school year. So I had become accustomed all throughout high school and throughout college of having this kind of abnormal workflow, work ethic. And so I tried to do the nine to five in a couple different places and it just flat out did not work. The last gig I was at where I worked for somebody else, I lasted like two weeks. And it was because I had grown accustomed to this freedom of calling my own shots. Which I think is it's so important for people to recognize and realize, like a lot of times we just assume that the traditional path for people is to be an employee, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. For the most part, been down that road. But I think it's also helpful for people to recognize like, ah, you know, I, I like doing my own thing. And I, I kind of realize about myself that I don't think I would make a good employee at this point. And I'd rather do my own thing. And so I think it's important for people to recognize uh, not only the type of work that they want to do, but what setting makes the most sense in which for them to do it. Mm, I mean, that is spot on, you know, when there are a lot of folks, and I think this develops from our school system, right? So I don't know if this is the case for anybody else, but growing up in elementary school, especially, I was always in trouble. I always had a tough time in school, not necessarily from an intellectual standpoint, but from a behavioral standpoint. Yeah. I was always in trouble, always getting, what was, uh, it wasn't timeout. What was the timeouts? Maybe that's what uh, I do. That's what I do with my kids. <laughs> was it de- oh, uh, was detention? Detention. Detention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always in detention, and it was because the, I wasn't necessarily a naughty kid or a, a kid who liked to misbehave. It just was that atmosphere of sitting still, doing your work. You know, not moving was very difficult for me. Yeah. Interesting. And it's always interesting to look back on things that childhood and and both positive and negative and how they affect us in terms of our work and work environment, the people we work with and the type of work that we're doing in present day. So even coming up, so you have that high school experience where you're on the radio, obviously that strikes a chord with you. Something's resonating and clicking with you. What do you do from there? Are you immediately trying to figure out how do you go into radio or how do you go into media or what kind of path are you on at that point? Yeah. In fact, when I was in college, my major was, for lack of a better term, radio and television production. And then I realized, so I did an internship my senior year, my first senior year, (laughs) 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 my first senior year, uh, did an internship out in uh, Burbank and worked for a production studio out in Los Angeles and was out there for four months. And I had, my plan was to go out, do this internship, get a gig, and then finish out my school in school year in Los Angeles. Well, I don't know if there's anybody out there who's ever lived in Los Angeles, but coming from the Midwest, moving to Los Angeles, it's such a culture shock. As an understatement. Yeah. I mean, it was just so different from so many different angles. And not only that, but I realized like, man, these guys, they're putting in 16, 17, 18 hour days and they're sleeping in their offices and they never see their families. And I didn't have a family back then, but I was like, I know that eventually this is not the type of life I want to lead. Yeah. So just finished the internship, moved back, finished my school at uh, University of Northern Iowa, 
and then started to do some internships in the media field. And it was the same thing where I was like, these guys don't get paid very well. The hours are terrible. You got to move everywhere all the time if you want to get a good gig. So that's when I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I went to school for this and I thought I wanted to do this, but I don't want to do this. So, you know, what does this mean? Let's pause there because there's a lot of people that I talk to who they feel trapped. You know, like you've gone to college for this. This is what the degree's in, the expensive piece of paper hanging on the wall. But now you get into it and you're like, this isn't really what I signed up for, you know, and there are yeah. parts of it I like, but there's definitely a lot of parts that I don't like. And I know for me personally, that's exactly how I felt, you know, in my first first real career role is, you know, you get into it and you're like, eh, I mean, if this is it, I can't see myself doing this for another, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. So what do you do at that point when you kind of feel at that crossroads of do I have to keep going down this path because that's what the magic degree says? Or if I pull the ripcord and go a completely different direction, what would I do then? So where's your head at at that point? To be truthful, I mean, that was some of the hardest years of my entire life. Yeah. Because like my plan was basically gone. So I stumbled around quite a bit and I don't even know if I could have done that any different. I really don't. My family calls it the dark ages. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a significant period if your family has its own name for your season of life. Yeah, it was the dark ages, man, because I was living at home. Okay, I was 23, 24 years old, living at home, and I was waiting tables, and it was just brutal. I mean, it was just rough. And like I said, I don't know how that season of life could have gone any different because of what came out on the other side. You know, I had a clarity, a forward direction, but going through that, I mean, and I think a lot of young to middle 20-year-olds, they all experienced that because... Especially if you enjoyed your college experience, like I found myself saying, man, I wish I could just, you know, like Uncle Rico, can I just go back? (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could just go back. Just let me go back. Yeah. And really enjoyed college. I spent an extra year there for crying out loud. (laughs) And so transitioning from that for me was really hard. But I don't think given the choice that I do it differently. I really don't. But in your case, you know, you're what, 24, 25 and trying to figure out what that next step looks like. But that's not necessarily just exclusive to, you know, that stage of life. I mean, yeah. I know there's people in their 30s, 40s, 50s who even like your dad, you know, I mean, he's 50 when he decides I got to go a different direction, mm-hmm. but it may not have been, you know, uber clear right out of the gate of what that next step would be. So in that interim, in the proverbial dark ages that you're in and that I think a lot of people have been in, what did you do that helped you to gain some clarity to figure out where you wanted to go next? Well, a lot of it was finding out what I enjoyed. Yeah. Because, you know, you have to remember, I had really been in the radio and television mindset since I was 14 years old. And so I had just kind of taken that as a given as like, oh, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Yep. And so it was those dark ages, so to speak, where I really did find out what do I enjoy? And I think for my dad, too, he always knew or at least had way before he turned 50, figured out what he enjoyed, but had never had the opportunity or the gumption to actually make that change. Then through a series of events, you know, it finally just became very clear, like, okay, it's now or never. And and I think for me, it was having to go through that to say, okay, that's what I had believed I enjoyed and wanted to do. And more importantly, and this is for all the people pleasers out there like me, this is what everybody else told me that I was good at. So I guess I'm just going to go do this. Yeah. 
and that really came crashing down, and I'm so glad that it did. How did that come crashing down? Tell, tell me more about that. Like I said, the Los Angeles experience, it was a combination of actually getting in the industry and seeing what it would actually mean for me long-term. And then, you know, this translated a little bit too into what happened. So after, you know, the dark ages, I moved into Christian ministry and went through the schooling that you need to do that and was on path to become a pastor. And long, 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 long story short, the same thing happened where I was like, oh, this is what everybody else says that I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> this is what everybody else says I'm good at, but I don't, God, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And not because uh, people hear me say that sometimes and they get offended because they think I'm saying something that I'm not. I just realized that that role was not suited to my strengths in the least bit. I wasn't real patient. I wasn't very kind. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All of the above. And I totally, you know, I'm, I'm snickering because I, I totally resonate with that. And, you know, we were talking a little offline of just the similarity there. But, you know, so when you're in that spot and you're trying a couple different things that's not really sticking and it's not really coming together, how do you eventually find the thing that's just like, ah, oh, this is it. Okay. Despite what my degree is in, despite what other people may be telling me that is the best fit for me, how did you land on the thing that clicked and made sense for you? Well, I mean, to be truthful, so I'm 34 now. I started our business when I was going to turn 32. So it was a month before I turned 32. So this was a year and a half ago. And I feel like just now, like right now in these last six months, as I've really stepped into the role of CEO of this business, am I feeling like all of the different components from my life are starting to gel? Yeah. They're starting to gel into one unified role where I don't know if I hadn't had those experiences that I'd be this confident in the direction that I'm going in right now. So it really has just started to gel. I mean, to be honest, in the last six to 12 months, but I don't think that that is necessarily needs to be the case for everyone. I think a couple of things for me that were important were number one, I got married and that was one of the best things that has ever happened to me in my whole entire life. Yeah. Because certainly because I love my wife, but because my wife, Carrie, is like, so I don't know if anybody out there has gone bowling, but I'm not very good at bowling, but I'm really good at bumper bowling. Yes. Um, for obvious reasons. And I feel like my wife has been described as the bumpers in bumper bowling for me. <laughs> so I am just like bouncing all over the place. And she has provided that steadiness, that clarity, that feedback to say, no, that's not who you are. This is who you are. That has been invaluable to me. And I'm not suggesting that everybody just go out and get married. But right. <laughs> uh, I am saying that you need people in your life who can call that stuff out of you and say, this is what I see in you as someone who's known you for one, three, five, 10, 15, 20 years. This is what you've always been good at. You know, an exercise that might help people if they're wondering about this. I just did this six months ago. And what I did was I got a list of 10 people that I know, love, and trust. And I sent them a I did this all over text. So anybody can do this. And all I did was send them a text message that said, hey, I'm doing this experiment. If you can respond by noon today, I would appreciate it. Here's what I need you to answer. Tell me one thing that you see as my greatest strength in life. And out of 10 people, I think I got responses from nine of them. And the 10th yeah. one, like 
was in on vacation in Fiji or something. I don't but know what he was doing. You're going to delete them out of your life anyway. Yes, exactly. They are, <laughs> they are shunned. But the response is, I mean, I am just weeping as I'm reading these texts because certainly they were touching, but more importantly, they all said the same things. Wow. All of them. And so I would recommend if folks are wondering that for themselves, even if you're not, it's such a great exercise to do anyway. Uh, And it's especially confirming when a lot of the folks say the same stuff. Yeah, for sure. So what was it that everybody was saying that caused the tears and just the connection of like, yes, okay, I identify with this, I connect with this. What were they all saying? They all said some version of you have the ability to go from idea to implementation to income. That's cool. some variation. Yeah. So, and people would say, well, you can see the big picture. Not only can you see the big picture, but you have the ability to take it down a notch and actually know how to do what you've just envisioned. And when I look at my role as a CEO, I mean, you couldn't create a better job description for a CEO than that. Yeah. Someone who's able to see the big picture, but also be able to mobilize folks and assess the strengths of people and bring them in to do the granular details to get the job done. Yeah. Interesting. So let's backtrack just for a couple of years. So when did you first start doing social media? And I know you mentioned that you were doing a couple of transitional jobs in the in the dark ages and you're doing the serving at the restaurant. I did the same thing. I worked at a restaurant for a little while just to make ends meet and to, to pay the bills. But when did you start doing social media to the point where you started to actually produce some type of income from it? It was when I was working at the church. So Part of the reason why I left ministry, and I'm going to say ministry here in church, but you could just easily put the word nonprofit in there. Part of the reason why I left that world was because I was almost forced to take on side gigs just to pay the bills. Yep. I mean, it's not an industry that pays real well. And I didn't get into that world for the money, but there was this tension of, yeah, I didn't get into it for the money, but I got to eat. Yeah. I have to keep the lights on. Yep. And so, you know, I had just started, like I said, experimenting with social myself. If you go to my Twitter profile, you'll see I joined in January 2007, which was way before most people. So I just had a curiosity around it that just naturally drawn towards it for the reasons that I've already mentioned, but started playing around with it. And then because of the world I was in, I had a few churches say, hey, can you help us do what you're doing for yourself for our church? And they would pay me very small sums of money. But I was like, oh, wow, this is cool because I can do what I like doing. I enjoy this stuff and I can do this for other people. They like it as well, but they're going to actually pay me to do it. Yeah. And that's when the lights went on. I was like, there's something to this. And so really from there, I mean, it has just been scaling that original concept over and over and over and over and over again. How do you, once you identify and recognize, okay, I see there's this need. I see there's this skill set that I can bring to the table to help solve this need. I feel like I understand that this niche or this group of people, in this case, churches that I can help with this situation or nonprofits or whatever it may be. What steps do you take from there to actually turn it into a business or start to kind of ramp it up? And like you said, scale it up into uh, more than just kind of these one-off projects. Yeah, I mean, if I trace things back, I think there is one singular key to my success in building this business. And I'm not overstating that. The asset that has been most valuable to me since really 2008 has been my email list. Mm -hmm. Without question, it's been the email list. And there's a reason for that. So 
my first email list, I tell this story every now and again. I'm so embarrassed by it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I had a blog back in the day, and uh, <laughs> I cannot believe I'm going to let it out. This is again. a safe place. It's just you and me. Nobody's listening right now. <laughs> yeah, just thousands of our closest friends. <laughs> so anyway, I had a blog, and when obviously when you have a blog, uh, at least in most cases, people comment on the blog. So I had researched how do I scrape the email addresses of people who have commented on my blog? Mm. So I figured out how to do it, scraped all the email addresses, and put those folks into my very first email list. Now, it was about 600 names. Which people love uh, it when you do that. Well, <laughs> it almost got me booted from MailChimp for life. They did not take kindly to my unsubscribe Tactic. rate after that. But really, the mailing list, so aside from how it started, the mailing list has been in that place where I can essentially throw out ideas and wait for people to show interest. If they don't show interest, then I don't do it. Yeah. It's just like a giant, you know, drawing board where you can say, Hey, I wonder if people would go for this. So you write up a quick email, you put a landing page up. If people either pay for it or show interest in it somehow, then you know there's something to it. If they don't, you move on to the next idea. And really, I mean, at a very simple level, that's how I have scaled the business. It's just doing that over and over while continuing to grow the email list. You know, you have folks who, if you provide them enough valuable content, you can get in the habit of bouncing ideas off of them, essentially. They don't necessarily know that's what you're doing, but you can get in the habit of saying, I wonder if this would fly with the folks who are in my target audience. And then it's just a matter of doing that over and over until you find something that hits and then you roll with it. Yeah. How long did it take you from the time you first started doing some freelance stuff with social media to the point where you were able to do it full time? I'm going to go. So I really started in social, I would say in 2008. And I mean, I worked for uh, the church, then I worked for another organization, and I would say until 2013. It took those five years, really, to build that base, and I think I could have done it in a short amount of time had I said, you know, I'm pulling the plug, I'm going for it. Now, I would not (laughs) recommend that to anyone. Right. Unless you're super young and you have a fallback plan where you can live somewhere if you fail. Right. But really, that stair step... uh, you know, income that I needed those five years to get it to the point now, it really did take those five years of planning and experimenting and uh, having a safety net. I think that was the most important thing for me was that I could be a little more risky because I knew I had a regular paycheck coming in. I didn't have to worry about that. Yeah. And there were times where that was very frustrating and hard because I didn't want to be doing what I was doing. I wanted to be doing my own thing. But I wouldn't give those years up because it was like getting paid to do research and development for five years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a spot where a lot of people are is they're in those five year period or whatever that is of just trying to figure out like, how do I actually turn this into something again, whether that be uh, starting my own business, doing this one skill set that I have, or just finding a company that will allow me to do this one thing that I know I would crush it at. And sometimes it just takes time to find that great fit or to create that business or to get any type of traction going to the point where you can make a living. And I think so many times people, we end up giving up or we end up stopping or quitting just short of the goal line or short of was about to become something. We just lose sight of it or we just get hopeless or whatever the feeling may be, we just end up throwing in the towel. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think for me, 
And this is why I said like that five years probably could have been three years if I had a little more courage, frankly. Yeah. But I got to a point in both of my positions with previous employers where it was very clear to both parties, there was no hard feelings, but it was very clear that my employment had run its course. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and to not acknowledge that, it would have jeopardized a lot of different things. And so when it happened in 2013, it was at that moment where I was like, okay, I've got a good base of income here. I've got some contracts I can, you know, shore up and we're going to do this thing. Yeah. Let's wrap up with this for, I know there's some people that may be listening to this who are kind of starting their own thing, or maybe they're working in an organization where they're responsible for social media or people that are doing their own thing and trying to get the word out about it through social. So what are some just entry level basic stuff that we can do to start to spread the word or to really get more engagement on social media? Well, we teach Think Digital, we teach what we call the communications pyramid. And long story short, we believe that there is a foundation that is necessary for any social media strategy or any social media content to be effective. And the foundation looks like this. At the bottom of your pyramid is the big idea, what we call your big idea. We think digital, so we talk big idea. Yeah. And the big idea is essentially what gets you out of bed in the morning? Why do you do what you do? What excites you? That's your big idea. On top of that big idea, you layer your web content or your web presence. And oftentimes that means your website or your blog. And you know your website's primary function is to tell digitally the story of your big idea. Now on top of the website, you put your email marketing. You have to have a solid email marketing strategy in place to drive people to your website, which is formed on your big idea. Once you have email, web, and your big idea on lock, then and only then do you start with your social media. Because if you don't, if you start with social first, it puts stress on all those other three layers and it exploits weaknesses and it's just not fun. Yeah. So I would say have a strong foundation of your big idea, a website that tells the story of your big idea, and email marketing that you can use to drive people back to your website. Then and only then do you want to start with social. What are some things, once you have that foundation piece in place, what are some basic social things we can do to get the ball rolling? When we work with clients, the first thing that we tell them is that social media is a two-way street. And a lot of organizations forget this. Mm. They want to throw this out, but it's actually the more important of the two. So with social, it is not free advertising. It's not a billboard. It's an active, living, breathing connection to your audience. And so that means you have to spend time connecting with them, speaking with them, talking to them, responding to their tweets, to their Facebook messages, liking their photos on Instagram, right? The brands that do that, the brands that get it, the organizations that invest in engaging their audience as well as informing their audience with content, those are the ones who win. Those are the ones who form lasting connections with their audience members, their community members. And if you don't do that, it doesn't matter how great your content is. People get real tired of that yeah. in the digital age. They want interaction. They want responsiveness from brands. And so it is both and. It's having both a strategy for your content, meaning are you curating content that your audience cares about? Are you creating content that your audience cares about? And then also, are you engaging with your audience on a one-to-one -one level? So I would say 
you know, keep those two sides of the coin in mind where you're not only creating and curating content, but you're also engaging with your audience, responding to them and acknowledging that they exist. Yeah. Good stuff there, man. Hey, if we want to learn more about you and and think digital and what you guys are doing with social and some of the social media training that you offer, where can we go? Probably easiest place to go is to justinwise.net. Beautiful. We will link up to that in the show notes as well. So Justin, thanks for the time, man. Really enjoyed it. And we appreciate you sharing your journey and story with us. You bet. My pleasure. Boom goes the dynamite. Hope you enjoyed that interview, that chit-chat with Justin Wise of justinwise.net. Feel free to check his stuff out again at justinwise.net. Or, of course, you can always go to grantbaldwin.com slash justinwise. You can check out the links, show notes, everything we discussed there. You can find it again at grantbaldwin.com slash justinwise. Hey, several things that we talked about, some things that I think are really important is, you know, one thing he said was being able to listen to what others are saying, but also filtering it through your own perception. You know, if, if you're talking with family, friends, loved ones, people that really know you. And they're like, you know, I see you in this type of role, or I see how you could do really well in this type of work. You know, does that resonate with you? Does that click? Just because someone else says that you should be doing this doesn't mean you should actually do it. So he even talked about how he went down a path. He didn't like it because he was doing what other people expected him to do. Uh, But I like what he texted 10 different people who all said the same thing. And he went down that path and it was a better fit. Why? Because it resonated and it clicked with him. It was wasn't something that he was just doing what other people thought he was supposed to do and he was just living according to someone else's goals and dreams for his life. No, no, he filtered it through his own perception. So that's why it's important to get some of that outside feedback, get some of that outside perspective. And, you know, we talk a lot about in Clarity Course, which we just started. People are already underway in it and we are going to be launching again in several months. So I don't want you to miss out next time if you missed out this time. But one of the things we talk about in there is getting some of that feedback. But again, it's so, so important to filter it through your own perception. If it resonates with you, if it clicks with you, great. If it doesn't, then that's okay. Just be able to set that aside and to to move on there. So great stuff from Justin. Hope you enjoyed that. Hey, again, I hope you have a great Christmas week and uh, hopefully you enjoy some time off, a nice little uh, breather refresher with family and friends as we start to wind down 2014. Uh, It's been a great, great year. I'm super, super excited about the year and uh, really, really pumped for 2015. Excited for a new year. uh, Always good to have a fresh start, fresh beginning for everybody. So I challenge you, what are you going to do in 2015? How are you going to make this new year different or better or improved in any way than uh, 2014 has been? Because listen, if you fast forward to the end of 2015 and it's identical to what the beginning of 2015 is going to be like, you got nobody to blame but yourself. So how are you going to live your life differently? What are you going to do differently? What changes are you going to make? What decisions are you going to change? What are you going to implement into your life that's going to make your life different or better or improved in any way? I believe in you. I'm cheering for you. I'm supporting you. I'm in your corner. As always, feel free to email me, grant at grantbaldwin.com. Anything I can do to support you, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Grant Baldwin. But I dig you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm cheering for you. And as always, for reals, anything I can do to support you on your own journey to find and do work you love, please, please, please don't hesitate to let me know. All right? You're awesome. Peace. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.